Isn't it great to stand on holy ground? Amen. Amen. Please, uh, if you need one of these, just please raise your hands and one of our deacons will help you here. So we have some folks here in the, in the front. And so, amen. Here he comes now. You know, this uh, Lord's Supper, going back, this Lord's Supper, which we celebrate each first day here of the week, it calls our minds back to the passion of the Christ. And so as we learned last week, our, our brother was calling our minds back to remember maybe an event that we were not physically present at, but through the eyes of faith, we can, we can re remember as we participate in the Lord's Supper. You know, but there's something more than uh, only taking our memories back to those events of that solemn day. Next one there, please. And so there's also something else that the Lord's, that God's Word has for us in Scripture. And so we're commanded to set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. Your feelings, your uh, emotions, your passions, your goals, your aims, but also our minds need to get right. And that's a function of this uh, Lord's Supper. It kind of gets us uh, dialed in. It gets us tuned back. It helps us to touch base where we need to be. And so something that uh, I think about in this passage of Scripture is why. Why is the Lord commanding us to set our hearts on things above, set our minds on things above? How does that connect with, with us? And so the next one, please. And so it says here in that same passage, and this is one of the great things about being able to uh, present God's Word before His people in a children's Bible class or in a setting like this here is, Something I've been so familiar with the last 46 years since I was baptized. This is something I never thought of before until just now. And that is, uh, you have died. Wait a minute. That the scriptures say each one of us died? Wait a minute. We're still here, right? Well, when did that happen? It says here, since then you have been raised with Christ. Wait a minute. We're still here. What do you mean we've been raised with, with Christ? And so these, uh, the answer to this is maybe physically we're still alive and breathing and blinking our, eyeball, you know, our eyelashes and everything, and we're still here present in uh, northwest Oklahoma City. But it says spiritually we died. Spiritually we were raised. Entonces esto nos remite nuestra atención en cuanto a lo espiritual, que nos morimos y que fuimos levantados juntamente con Cristo. But the question arises, now exactly when did that happen? Can anybody please tell me? ¿Cuándo sucedió? When is it that Christians, that we died to an old life and we were raised into a new life? ¿Cuándo fue que nos morimos a una vida antigua y fuimos levantados, resucitados a una vida, andar en vida nueva? ¿Cuándo fue? In our baptism, amen. And so, next one, please. So this means that this uh, Lord's Supper here that we're going to participate in, this is just a, a, a remembrance, but at the same time, this is also a foretaste of glory divine, looking back, but also looking ahead to what we have waiting for us. And so, Brother Grant, when you were leading that, that song, I really felt something, you know, that... It's great to be here with the brothers and sisters, but you were calling us to stand by faith and look ahead to that day when the Lord calls us home. But in the meantime, next one there, please, that this also calls us to mind what links the two, what links the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, what connects us to 
that hope, that confidence we have of being in holy ground before the Lord someday, and that is that moment when we decided to put on Christ in obedience to the gospel. So we're seeing that this Lord's Supper is more than just looking back at something tragic and uh, as necessary as it was, the passion of the Christ, but this is something for right here and now that we refresh our memory, we refresh our commitment, and we refresh our hope. And so if you share this uh, memory, this commitment, and this hope, please join with me in partaking of, uh, the, of the Lord's body as after we pray. Vamos a orar. Lord, we praise you that through Jesus we can be strengthened, strengthened from what happened before to what we enjoy now and to what that hope that you have awaiting us Ahora, Dios, a través de esta comunión podemos fortalecer nuestro recuerdo, nuestro compromiso y nuestra esperanza de lo que nos depara. Tú nos preparas en el cielo. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us through this partaking of the body of Christ que nos fortalece a través de compartir en el cuerpo de Cristo. Amén. Before we partake in uh, the blood of Christ, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Oremos. Lord, we praise you that Christ has washed away our sins when he shed his blood, that we can walk truly in newness of life with souls washed clean, with heads held high before you because of Jesus. Dios, te damos las gracias que a través de la sangre de Cristo gozamos del lavamiento de nuestro antiguas manchas en nuestra alma y podemos andar en confianza con la cabeza en alto. May you strengthen us, Lord, as we go through this week, as we wander through the valley dim towards the setting of the sun. Oh Dios, en esta semana que ahora comienza, que tú nos fortalezas. May you strengthen us through the, through the blood of Christ, that we can uh, walk in your light these days and always. Que a través de la sangre de Jesús podamos uh, andar en tu luz donde el La sangre de Cristo nos alcanza, nos lava de toda maldad. This is our confidence, our prayer in Jesus' name. Es nuestra confianza, nuestra oración en el nombre de Jesús. Amén.
Okay. Guys, please stand with me as we sing this song before the lesson. And we're going to dismiss the children now as well as junior church. So the kids can go ahead and, and make, their, uh, make their way in that direction. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me, it tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love How I love Jesus because he first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe. Who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Es Cristo quien por mí murió, mis culpas por borrar, cuán grandes penas él sufrió. Mi alma rescatar, oh cuánto amo a Cristo, oh cuánto amo a Cristo, oh cuánto amo a Cristo, porque antes él me amó. Amén. is Church Camp Sunday. So we're going to camp today. Laura told you a little bit about it earlier. Um, each year, uh, one of the things I do is, is on the Sundays before we send off our kids to camp, I preach on that year's camp topic and our camp theme. I do that for a couple of reasons. One of them is that our church is a family-based church. And so we believe that parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. Uh, and so you can't just outsource your kids to church camp for a week. Uh, you need to know what's going on. You need to know what they're learning about, what they're praying about, what they're, uh, what they're doing and reading about in scriptures. Uh, and I want to ask that you would be praying for them. And not just for your kids. If you're someone here today and, and you're not sending anyone to camp, uh, you are sending someone to camp. Your church's kids are going to camp. And so I want to ask you to be praying this week. For all of our campers and all of our staff as we head down there, 
Uh, our theme this year is level up, level up. Uh, so be praying that our kids will experience a challenge to level up their faith and what it means for the kingdom of God in their lives uh, this week. Uh, next week we'll be doing our soul, our soul Quest theme, Scarred Faith, and so that's kind of where we are uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, this year, as we were getting ready for camp, we recruit our staff months before we start recruiting our campers. Uh, and this year, as we started recruiting staff, something happened that we've never really experienced before. Um, everyone signed up without being asked to. Um, normally, recruiting staff is one of our challenges, and as campers keep signing up, we have to keep going and finding more people to go to camp and more people to go to camp. Uh, this year, we opened the staff registration, uh, and a couple of weeks later went, oh no, what are we going to do with this many grown-ups at camp? <laughs> there aren't enough kids. Uh, last year we had about 85 campers. We haven't, there's 14 cabins at camp. We haven't used all 14 of them uh, in a long time. In fact, the last time we would have used all of them, there were only 12 cabins. So we've not really ever used all the, the cabins. Um, and when we got all of these people signing up to be uh, staff, we kind of had to decide what to do. And, and what we decided was, we're just going to trust that God's up to something. Yeah, right. So fill all the cabins with grown-ups, and we'll just trust that he's going to send the kids to fill them up. Um, it turns out that what God was up to was a 30% increase in our camper registration that we didn't even know was coming. And God had already given us everything we needed to make that happen. Um, so as we get ready for camp today... Um, this sermon, for me, is kind of in the way of getting down there and finding out what God has in store for us. And so let's get it over with, right? Um, to explain our theme of camp this year, I need to give you a little bit of background. Uh, how many of you have ever played the original 1985 Super Mario Brothers? Okay, how many have not? Okay, so I need to kind of explain to those of you who have not... Um, What's going on in this game so that you can appreciate the brilliance of the metaphor that I'm going to give you here in a couple of minutes? <laughs> I was workshopping this sermon last month uh, or a couple months ago, and I tried it out at Glade, and I realized that they may not be the target audience for a Mario reference. And so to make sure that everyone's on board with it here, I, I wanted to explain to you what Super Mario is and the significance of it. But it's such a big deal, I, I had a hard time thinking, how do you explain Mario to someone? Um, so I decided that the best way to describe this old technology was to use the newest technology possible to describe it. So I got online and, and I opened an artificial intelligence uh, language bot called ChatGPT, and I asked it to describe to someone who's never played it the experience of playing Super Mario Brothers. Um, so here's what it said. Playing the original Super Mario Brothers game is like embarking on an exciting adventure filled with challenges, surprises, and a whole lot of fun. Released in 1985 by Nintendo, it revolutionized the world of video games and became an iconic title that has influenced the industry ever since. It's terrifying that this is a robot describing this, but here's where we are. As you start the game, you take control of Mario, a courageous plumber on a quest to rescue Princess Peach from the clutches of the evil Bowser. The game is a side-scrolling platformer, which means you navigate through various levels from left to right, overcoming obstacles and enemies along the way. 
The game's level design is masterful, introducing new mechanics, obstacles, and surprises as you progress. From jumping across gaps and navigate, navigating treacherous platforms to finding secret blocks and warp zones, Super Mario Brothers keeps you engaged and constantly surprised. Each level presents its own unique challenges, culminating in thrilling boss battles with Bowser himself. Playing Super Mario Brothers is an incredibly rewarding experience. As you conquer each level, you find a sense of accomplishment and joy. The game's timeless design and intuitive mechanics have made it accessible to players of all ages, ensuring its status as a beloved classic that continues to captivate gamers even decades after its release. So there you go, new technology describing old technology. Um, I don't know if any of you guys, this is, I wasn't gonna tell you this, but it's too, it's too funny not to. Um, ChatGPT is this like AI bot online. Um, this week I thought it would be really funny. We don't ever write our director's skits for camp, and so I thought it would be funny to make Nathan think that I wrote some, and I asked ChatGPT to write some skits for camp, and it wrote them out, and I said, use Super Mario characters, there needs to be three, add a joke at the end, and then they were not very good skits, but it looked like I'd put a lot of time into them. So I printed them all off and I gave them to Nathan. I was like, hey, let, let me know what you think about these. Wanting to put him in the dilemma of like, man, he really worked hard on these, but I don't want to tell him they're terrible. Um, and I'm sure he hasn't even read them. <laughs> so when you read the skits, I didn't do that. That's why they're weird. Um, but I, that was kind of a, a prank that was really only funny in my head. But um, this is the kind of stuff I do to get ready for camp. So all of that is to set up this moment in the Super Mario game uh, where you have this scene, right? Let's go to the next slide here, uh, where you're at the end of the level. And you get to the end of the level and there is a, a point where Mario has to jump up and grab a flag. And if you, if you get the top of the flag, it, it comes down and it gives you all of these bonus points. The bonus points are good for nothing in the game. It doesn't store them, it doesn't keep track of them, you can't trade them in for anything later. It's arbitrary points that are meaningless. Um, but if you get the very top of the flag, it gives you a fireworks display, and it feels really good. But if you just run and just hop as small as you can and grab the flag, it is the exact same result for the rest of the game. You beat the level, you don't get as many points, but the points don't matter. And so at the end of every level, you really want to super jump as high as you can and grab the flag, get the fireworks, bonus points. It feels so good. But if you don't do that, you just grab the bottom of the pole and your life is exactly the same. There's no difference. So here's what this has to do with Christianity. Is there's two ways to finish the level of life when it comes to walking with God. One of them is to hit that super jump and grab the flag and get the fireworks and all the bonus points. The other one is to just kind of run up and grab the pole and be like, eh, next level. All right? You can do faith that way. But what, isn't it better to grit the top of the flag in the fireworks show? And so this week, what we're challenging our campers to do is imagine the life of faith. It's not our works. It's not our accomplishments. It's not our achievements that save us. It's grace and forgiveness that gets us across the finish line, that gets us past the end of level pole, the flagpole. 
But it's so much better to live fully into the life of faith of doing everything we can to get the fireworks along the way. So we're starting out today in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's talking to them about what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. He said it once, he's going to say it again. Through faith, and this is not, by, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's one of the more beautiful passages talking about how it is that we come to be saved people in the world. How we come to be in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's writing, he says, listen, you used to be dead in your sins. You made mistakes. You did things wrong. You walked away from God. You worshipped yourself and other things instead of the Creator. And as a result of all of that, you were dead spiritually. There was no life in you. And yet in the moment that you had no life and were spiritually dead, that's when God sent His Son Jesus into the world to save you by grace. This is His act of love. God loved us enough that He sent His Son to save us. He didn't wait till we deserved it. He didn't wait till we earned it. He didn't do it based on who we were or what we had done. He just loved us enough that He sent Jesus. And Jesus gives His life on the cross so that by faith in Him, we can have life. By faith in Him, we can receive this good gift of grace. God demonstrates His love by allowing us to be saved, not by our own works. And this is the greatest gift ever, because none of us are good enough on our own. You can't abstain from all of the desires of this world enough to earn your way into heaven. You can't do enough good stuff to earn your way into salvation. The only way you get there is by God's mercy and God's grace. And the good news is, He's got all of that that all of us need. And so He gives us that gift. And so what you need to know is that those who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into His death and resurrection. And so Paul in Romans writes that, don't you know if you were baptized into his death, you're also baptized into his eternal life. You don't have to worry about death anymore. You've got the kingdom of God eternally that you're a citizen of. You're saved and not because you did anything to deserve it, but because Jesus did everything that you need for you to receive it. By grace, God gives you that gift. So there's two ways that we struggle with this idea, right? There's two extremes that we struggle with. On the one extreme, we question the grace of God. 
We, que we question whether or not the cross is good enough to save me. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, listen, I can't come to church right now. And I go, why, why not? Because I can't come to church until I make amends for all the stuff I've done wrong. Until I work out my sin problems. I've got to get right before I can actually commit to Jesus. You see, they think that it's about their actions. We think sometimes that, it, that if we can just get good enough, then we deserve to be at church. If we can just abstain from all of the, the sins and evil desires of this world, then I'll go to church because then I'll be good enough to be among the good people. But the Bible doesn't say as soon as you get your stuff in order, you can become a follower of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say as soon as you start ignoring all the evil desires of this world, you're ready to be a follower of Jesus. While you were dead, Jesus died to give you life. The time to go to church is when you're in the mud and in the mess and in the pit and you're stuck in the death of spiritual decay. That's when you get into Jesus and he takes care of all the stuff. He invites you in by grace. And so sometimes we get this idea that it's based on our being good enough and having our stuff in order that, that makes it when we can be one of Jesus' followers. And that's putting too much responsibility on us. And it's denying the good grace that he gives us in his death and resurrection. When we give the power to his gift of mercy and grace is when we realize I've just got to show up. He's already paid for it all. And yet, on the other extreme, there are some times that we fall into a, another myth of spirituality and faith where we become so convinced of the grace and mercy of God that we think, I'm saved from all of my sins, and I can't earn my salvation, and so all I've got to do is believe and then just wait till He comes back and takes me home. There's nothing in between. I don't, if works can't save me, then I'm just going to sit in my lazy boy recliner not do anything. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. A belief that it's not about our works that saves us, but because of His grace we are saved should launch us into mission, should launch us into doing God's work. It should launch us into a life of leveling up our faith. Is it, are we doing it out of guilt? Are we doing it out of obligation? No. If that's what's driving you is this belief that if you don't do it, you can't be saved, then you have not received the gift of the grace. But if you receive the grace and then don't do anything, then you're not letting God craft you and grow you up in the way He wants to. The end of this verse highlights that. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's, here's the thing. If you're doing it because you think you have to do it to be saved, you're missing it. But if you think you're saved so you don't have to do it, you're missing it. In the middle is this adventurous life of faith that calls us to do the things of God because He saved us when He didn't have to. Because He loved us when He didn't have to. And as a result of that, we get to be God's handiwork. We're, we're His tools to craft the entire creation to begin looking like He designed it to look. 
Will you let him do it? Is the question. Peter, in his second letter, kind of describes the same dynamic in a different way. He's talking about, and this is our key text this week out at camp. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, he's talking about getting out of, uh, getting into the glory of God and into the goodness of God and out of the corruption in the world. And he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you start at the end and you've got two choices to make, right? One choice is you can live a life that never stumbles, living fully into the kingdom of God. You can uh, live as someone who is constantly growing, constantly excelling, constantly allowing God to use them and shape them and mold them and using them to mold and shape the world to be what God wants it to be. The other choice is to be nearsighted and blind, forgetting that you've been saved, forgetting the forgiveness that you have received, forgetting that you've been cleansed of all your sins. Now, get this, Peter doesn't say, if you don't do these things, that cleansing goes away. The cleansing is there whether you remember it or not. The cleansing is there even if you're nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that your sins are forgiven and you're not doing the perseverance thing, you're not doing the self-control thing, you're just kind of, you're living the life of faith without being the handiwork of God. You can do that. And the reason you can do that is it's grace that saves us. You're, you can't earn it through the perseverance. You can't earn it through the self-control. You can't earn it through all the things that, that Peter lists here, the character traits of God that he lists here. You can kind of live a life of believing in Jesus without leveling up. You'll be nearsighted. You'll be blind. You're going to stumble along the way, and grace can still save you because it's through faith and not works. But what that really looks like is being Mario running off of the high block, getting to the final flag and going, Boop. you still win, but that's not much fun. God's got fireworks in store if you'll just receive it. God's got all the bonus points. You don't need them. You can't turn them in for a bigger prize when you get to the finish line. But it's all there. The celebration of leveling up is there if you want to live that way. And so Peter invites us into a different kind of Christian living where you can't earn your salvation, but you're constantly choosing to level up. You're constantly choosing to not stumble. 
You're constantly choosing to chase the fireworks of faith. And so it starts with faith, and faith is what saves us. That's the foundation of the whole Christian life. But then you get to start adding things on top of it. You add things like goodness, goodness, where you're good all the way through all the time. There is no badness in you. You just chase the goodness. And it's a tough thing to describe. It's a tough thing to write a class about for third through eighth graders. I can tell you that. Uh, It's a tough thing to describe goodness. But every single one of us, if I tell you to think of the person you know who is the most good person, you can do it that fast. You know goodness when you see it. Because you see it when no one's, you just know it. They're good all the way through. And to goodness, you can add knowledge. And for Peter, that knowledge is not book learning. For, for Peter, that knowledge is knowing about Jesus and knowing who Jesus is in relation to you. Right. It's informational and it's relational, but it's all about Jesus. Do you have the knowledge of who Jesus is and do you know him and does he know you is what Peter wants to know. And then you can add to that knowledge self-control. Now, this is easy to talk to third through eighth graders about uh, because it it sounds like, stop it, stop doing that. Why are you doing what you're doing? Get in control, behave yourself, follow the rules, or you lose swim time. So we do self-control a lot at camp. Um, They're they're crazy, these kids that you send us. Thanks. We're so grateful you send them, but self-control, we need more of it all the time. And so we talk about that. What does it mean to add self-control? Because it means one thing with kids, but for adults it means something else entirely. What it usually means is abstaining from chasing the things that aren't God so that you can chase the things that are God passionately. And then you are, are able to deny all of the distractions in the world and chase God. And that's the self-control that we need. And you add perseverance, the overcoming of all the obstacles and the weakness that is, is built into this world. Uh, There is a reluctance, a growing reluctance in our world to do hard things. God over and over again calls his people to do hard things. And when we have that willingness to do hard things, it builds in us an ability to do more hard things and for them to not be as difficult. It develops perseverance. We're going to challenge our campers this week to do hard things. And in a world that's often telling them to find shortcuts and easy ways and to let chat GPT write chunks of your sermon that you don't want to, you don't need to do that. You should do the hard stuff of this life. And to that, you can add godliness, which for Peter tends to be about holiness, about not letting immorality and sin into your life and into your heart and into your mind. It's about being a temple and a priesthood, godliness, being like God who is perfect so we are also pursuing perfection. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because He died so we don't have to, so that we could have life, we choose to chase holiness because we're His handiwork trying to live in a way in the world that is different. 
adding mutual affection where I'm looking after your needs ahead of my own and you're looking after my needs ahead of your own, where you become a community of people that are so different from the world which says, I'm looking after me and myself. We become people who look after one another. And then finally, the last level he mentions is love. You just love. And it's interesting that mutual affection and love are, are different because we often think of them as the same, but, but the difference is that love doesn't require something in return. It's a gift that's given whether you'll pay me back or not. And the one who gives us the ultimate example of that love is the one filled with mercy and with grace. And if we level all the way up, we become like him, giving mercy and grace to those who don't deserve it while they're still dead to us. We invite them to life through the way that we treat them the way that we love them, the way that we respect them. And we, if you're reading this list and you're sitting here thinking, you know, I've gotten pretty good at all of those. I think I've arrived. I've hit the flag at the end. I've had the fireworks show. Uh, Peter says, no, no, no. In ever-increasing measure. So if you've got all these to some extent, then next year you need to have them to a greater extent. You need to keep growing these things. God's never done with you. Thank you. And if, if we get this idea that we've got to earn it, we've missed it. If we get this idea that we're saved, so don't worry about it, we've missed it. But there's this life where God is constantly growing us up and leveling us up and challenging us and turning us into his handiwork and inviting us to be his people, transforming the world with him that is a great life of faith a great life of being partners with God. Keep leveling up or be blind and forget that your sins were forgiven. The choice is yours. You can choose to not keep growing in God, but you're going to be blind and you're going to keep stumbling. There's still a flag at the end, but you're going to limp across into eternity or you can keep growing and letting God do incredible things with you and grab the top of that flagpole and the fireworks of faith can explode for you. The choice is there. And even if it feels like you can't get there, like you've made too many mistakes and you can't get there, I, I love this picture because if, for those of you that are, are real Mario heads, there's something you know that the rest of you don't. Right now where Mario is standing, there is an invisible block above his head. But if you jump right there, that block appears, and then you can get on top of that block. And even though he can't jump high enough to get the flag, if you get on top of that block, you can. There is no glory for you that is out of reach if you're in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you cannot achieve if you're in Jesus Christ. And so the message today is to keep growing, keep leveling up, keep being the kind of Christian that chases the flag, not just the finish. And the invitation that I really have for all of you who aren't going to camp today is that you would be praying for our campers and our staff this week that we chase the flag, that we call these kids to an incredible life of kingdom-changing faith and growth, that they'll enter into a lifelong journey of letting God do unbelievable things in them and through them. If you need to respond to the message today that we're saved by grace and not by works, if you need to respond to realizing that you've been living a life of being blind and nearsighted and you want to go on the journey of faith that God's calling you to,
come forward this morning as we stand and sing. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts and me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright but still I'll pray till heaven I found Lord lead me on to higher ground Lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land a higher that I have found, Lord, plant my feet on high.